Okay, so anyone who knows me, and honestly, at this point, anyone who listens to the podcast, because I guess we've just (laughs) gotten real close around here, knows that I do not wear bras. And like, that's not some sort of an over-exaggeration. You can ask any of my friends. I truly do not ever wear bras. However, there have recently been some circumstances where like, I just have to. I've been saying yes to more things. I feel like we've been going to more events and there are just some outfits. I got to do it. And when I tell you I have finally found a bra that makes wearing one bearable. Like I'm never going to be an everyday bra wearer. It's not in the cars for me. But when I have to, the only bras I can wear are skims, which I'll get into the specific ones in a second, but we all know this comes as no surprise. Like I have been an OG diehard skims fan since day one. I am a fan of every single product they make. You know the way I feel about the underwear, the clothes, all of it. But now adding bras to the mix, specifically the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, because You guys know the way I feel about the Fits Everybody collection. I could talk about that for forever, but specifically the t-shirt bra, it's just so comfortable. I don't know, the straps don't dig into you. It's probably the only bra I've ever worn where when I get home, I'm not like dying to take it off, which I cannot express how massive of a feat that is for someone like me. It's just comfortable and it just does what it needs to do. And I am such a fan, which like no surprise, I love everything Skims makes, but here to confirm the bras are as good as you would think that they are. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Isabel. And welcome to another episode of Comments by Bravo. Hey, it's Emma, I need to talk about Beverly Hills right now. It is getting so good. Every single week is better than the last. This episode just gave us everything that we wanted. And it kind of reminded me that on the off season, when Lisa Rinna and everybody else was saying, you know, trust us, Erica is talking about it. Like you're going to get so much more than you anticipated. And we're all kind of skeptical. This episode proved that to be true. Right. Like whether or not you believe what she's saying, she is giving us stuff. And then... The second thing that I was trying to think of, because I also was thinking back to how we were discussing this before the season actually started. And I think that I didn't anticipate that the women were going to ask this many questions because I thought that they were going to take Erica's lead. And that's exactly what they're doing. It's just that Erica is being way more open than we ever thought. Oh my God, this dinner at Kyle's, Kyle is like asking a lot of questions. They all are. And it just kind of proves that they are really good friends. They're not just work colleagues. Whereas I think in a lot of other cities, that would be the case. Right. I mean, think about it. If you're going through something like this, regardless of your involvement and it's unfolding at the same time as filming, you want to talk to your friends about it, not just your coworkers. And I think that especially like we said last week, Erica's not one that has this large group of female friends. And so I think she kind of needs them in a way. Like I, I know we were debating last week, whether it's better or worse that she's filming at the time, but I honestly think it's better for her own sake. I think she kind of needs it. Yeah. And I think it kind of makes her feel heard also that she's saying whatever, whatever message or whatever details or stories that she wants to get out, regardless if they're the truth or not, she has the best platform right in front of her. I feel like maybe that helps her kind of, I don't know, deal with it. The fact that she knows that she could get a message out there and be heard. Yeah. And the way that the other women are playing into that in such a way where I do think these are their genuine reactions and feelings, but also they are hyper-conscious, specifically Kyle and Rinna, about really making sure that they are amplifying and kind of just nailing down the story that she's trying to paint. Yeah. Well, that's our Beverly Hills recap. See you next week. So in Potomac, we are still kind of reeling from this nude interlude and the Giselle Karen situation that we couldn't have dreamt up. I mean, that was the definition of something that only would have taken place in Potomac in the best way possible. And here we see that Mia, who, as we know, came in with Karen, I think we all said there's no way that was a very solid friendship, but fine, you know, to the show, she's still kind of Karen's person. And she says to her, I know you, I love you, I respect you, I have my own relationship with you, but I'm just meeting Giselle and I'm a good judge of character. And she has a beautiful heart. And 
listen, there's nothing wrong with her saying that if she feels it. But if I was Karen, I would have been so goddamn annoyed. I think everyone at the table, even Ashley, who's like not the biggest Karen fan or anybody else, they all kind of look at each other like, why would you do that? Or why would you say that? It was just when you are fighting with somebody and then the person that you bring in and is supposed to have an allegiance to you, it's one thing that they feel a certain way, but then to kind of outwardly defend the other person, it's fine if she felt it, say it. That's why she's clearly a good housewife, but oh, I would have been pissed. And also over something that didn't really require her opinion and that she knew nothing about. Like she just felt the need to be like, no, 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 I can tell Giselle has a good heart. You've been there for 30 minutes. What do you know? I know, but that's why she's going to be good. I can just tell. Yeah, she's a little messy. So when Karen tells Giselle that this really all started, when Ray said to Giselle, you're a good-looking woman, you need to settle down because your looks will fade, which like we can't even begin to unpack the misogyny there. And in her confessional, Giselle said, he will be six feet under before this fades. To which Karen explains that she felt that Giselle was basically wishing death on Ray and you know, that was the beginning of the end. Which, listen, if she was upset by that comment, fine. But to say that that was the root of all of this just feels untrue. Yeah. And like, I don't want to invalidate Karen's feelings. I love Karen to death. How, no pun intended. However, <laughs> however, when she started saying like, you wished death upon my husband, like you wanted him to die. And then they played this clip of Giselle like kind of making a snarky comment where I think she said way worse things specifically about Karen and Ray. I was like, really, Karen? Like, come on. Like, we've heard worse. It's like a little bit of a stretch. I mean, also, if we're going to be honest, the the root of all of this is Ray's comment, which is, you're a good looking woman. You need to settle down because your looks will fade, which like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to say that one's a little bit worse. Right. Like, Giselle could just flip the switch and say, well... I could say I don't like you guys because of what Ray said to me, and we could just call it even. Right, like that's objectively pretty sexist. I mean, I think so. Interesting, so minor, but remember last week with the whole Wendy BBL situation, this was, I guess, what she was referring to where she did admit to the butt stuff. (laughs) The butt stuff. (laughs) Yeah, well, I also thought it was interesting that Mia kind of spun it to say, oh, so now since I admitted to it, you're willing to stand up and say it, which makes me think that Wendy wasn't as forthcoming as she kind of made it seem in her tweet last week of like, oh no, I told them everything all at once, which is fine. Like that's her right. To be honest with you, I think Mia was right. I don't think that that's such a crazy thought process. I guess my whole thing is that sometimes a new housewife will make a comment like that where my reaction would be, listen, let's relax here. Nobody is changing the entire form of their conversation because of your presence. However, I actually think in this one, Mia was not off. And I think that's exactly what happened. Yeah. So when Robin comes over to Giselle's house, I always appreciate it because there's nobody closer to Giselle than Robin. And even she can just admit what we all know, which is that in theory, this West Wing idea is beautiful (laughs) and phenomenal and how great to have your own space. However, There is zero cohesion. It's actually, I would say, negative cohesion in terms of the two houses together. And it's just something that I will not get sick of. When they showed the exterior shot of Giselle's house, I was like, no, I'm out. I can't. There's just nothing else to say. Yeah, no, it's really something. And that interior, listen, her actual area was great. I think the closet situation was nice. I think she has a lot of open space, but the interior decoration of that house is sinful. I can't, I can't even get into it because it hurts my soul. Yeah. (laughs) That's an episode we should have Jonathan Adler on for, honestly. Oh my God. He would just die. This is interesting because when they're talking about Jamal and she says, you know, he really did live in the phone, there was no intimacy. That is a direct regurgitation of Karen Huger's words in Portugal. And so for her to say that to me was actually like the least prideful thing Giselle has ever done because she could have said it in a lot of different ways. However, she literally used Karen's exact words to say, you know what? She was right. I know. I weirdly felt like that was such a moment of growth when she was able to quote Karen, who at the time right now, like she's not on good terms with and almost in her own way, sort of say Karen was right or the women were right. 
And I was bullshitting myself. I was like, you know what, Giselle, like you do and say a lot of things, but this really proves that you actually are kind of aware of what's going on and also have sort of like grown from it and really understand what everyone else was seeing. Yeah. And I, I could appreciate that. Me too. Okay. This love lunch situation was really a great plot point just because I wanted an introduction to Mia's husband more so kind of like specifically in contrast to the rest of the group. Like I really wanted her to kind of have that scene and that moment where she was integrating. And this was the best possible way to do it. Just going off of our conversation from, I think the last couple of weeks and how we were saying like, we didn't feel like Karen and Mia were authentically friends. The fact that they haven't met each other's husbands or like they, the husbands didn't even really seem to know that much about them. I was like, come on guys, like you're showing all your cards here. Well, that's the thing. In the more recent seasons of Housewives, they have made that thread of connectivity from the OG housewife to the newbie thinner and thinner. It used to be this elaborate story that you really had to believe. Now it's like, yeah, I happened to see her on the pickup line at my kid's school. Or not even that. like, Or you had to become friends because we kind of hired her as a housewife or someone's friend of friend of friend of friend recommended her. Like I just remember even when like Tinsley joined New York, she came into Sony's apartment and like said hi to Luann and was like, oh, we've met like, you know, a bunch of times at charity events or whatever. And I guess it felt more authentic, but yeah, this just like was a huge red flag to me. I'm like, okay, I knew my gut was right on this one. Totally. So this is when Mia says to Karen that she handled the dinner like a real boss. And you see the other women kind of immediately react to that their body language almost changes. And Wendy calls her out saying, you know, you're the one talking about how Giselle has this great character and all this stuff. Now you're saying Karen's a real boss. Your tone is changing. And Mia's response to that is that, you know, first of all, her and Giselle were allowed to mesh, but also once she heard the wishing death upon Karen's husband thing, that's when it changed for her. Again, to me, dramatic, but fine. But I'm sorry. I was with me on this one. If Karen didn't care, why were Wendy and Ashley giving her such an issue? I don't know. I feel like in a way they were kind of protecting Karen and also just trying to sniff her out and be like, you're kind of phony and we don't really like your wishy-washy way. And I think they honestly still felt like that initial shock from the dinner that we were saying of when Mia makes this comment and they're like, wait a minute, like what kind of loyalty is this? Or what kind of like, I don't know, social cues does this girl have that she's saying this right now when it was a completely unnecessary comment and it sort of was just shoving Karen down. Yeah, it was. I I agree about the initial comment being so unnecessary, but I also think she's allowed to say that she like Giselle's character, and then later to tell Karen that she thought she handled the dinner like a boss. I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. And I just, I don't know. I get it. It's the show, but it felt a little bit unnecessary to be fighting so hard for something that Karen wasn't even offended by. Yeah. I think Wendy, I don't know why. I think she just has a bad taste in her mouth about Mia already and doesn't like her and sort of wanted to call her out on her contradictions already and say like, you know, you can't just like do that. You can't say things like that. Like, I'm just confused about your tone and sort of how you're approaching these situations. She definitely has it out for her. In a way, I I, I don't know. There's a part of me that feels kind of going back to the plastic surgery thing that Mia has a comfortability with herself that I think Wendy longs for just solely in the sense of like owning that element of herself. Whereas like even Wendy, when she was talking about the plastic surgery, you know, she said it, it took her a while to do something for herself. And I love that. Like that is so great that she got to this point where she wants to do something that will empower her from, you know, a vanity perspective. It's a superficial thing, but it matters. And I think Mia being just so forthcoming and kind of owning the more vain side is potentially something that Wendy wishes she could do a little bit more seamlessly. I don't know. That's just my hypothesis, but I don't think it's the craziest thing. Yeah. I also think mixed with Wendy's second season-ness and her comfortability in the group and sort of knowing how things are done now, knowing what makes good storylines and feeling like a little bit of a protective element over these women that she's friends with now 
more than Mia is. I think even with Karen, Wendy and Karen are better friends than it seems like Karen is with Mia, even though she technically brought her in the group. I think that sort of empowers her to be like, that's not how we do things around here. Totally, totally, which is valid. I mean, listen, I feel like, I don't know, I really like Wendy. I've been such a Wendy fan and I feel like I'm not being that kind to her this episode, but this whole thing with her and Eddie, it was very telling. That's all I'm going to say. It was very telling the way that she was handling this compared to all the other women there. I literally did a spit take when they asked the question during the newlywed game of who else in the group besides you would your husband like be interested in? And Ray Huger writes fucking Katie. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no, 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 no. That was phenomenal television. No, like that is the kind of reference that we need because like you can't just bring up Katie Ross like three seasons later when she hasn't been there and she – I just can't. It was hysterical. Right. Well, it makes you think that he was thinking about her. Right. Oh, my God. I was dying. No, but listen, just in general, and I know this is, may seem a little bit off-brand for me because I typically love these types of conversations, but I never like on any franchise when they do a question like this of you know, asking the husband someone else in the group that they would be into. Like, I'm down to talk about who they fantasize about and celebrities, but when it's someone in the group, I don't just love that because I think it oftentimes can, if you're not so deeply secure in your marriage, I think that it can mess things up a little bit just in terms of like, Okay, well, when she walked in, why were you giving her that look? You know, you can get in your head easily if you're someone like Ashley and Michael that have had infidelity or just some other situations. That being said, if you're going to play the game, play the game. And Wendy eyeing Eddie and, you know, not even allowing for him to say something that other than not applicable just felt a little bit try hard for me. I think we're going to get a lot more insight as the season goes on because the rumors of him cheating are going to become a big plot. So I feel like then we'll be able to really see, but this definitely felt like it was like planting the seed. So Mother's Day is coming up and I know sometimes it can be difficult figuring out what to get your mom because realistically no gift is going to do justice for how much you love and appreciate her. But I'm sure you've done the classic, you know, bathrobe, candle, sweaters, gift cards. If you're looking to mix it up, I want to tell you about Aura Frames. So they were named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter. And it's just the kind of gift that is guaranteed to bring joy because realistically, there's nothing our parents love more than seeing us. So for them to be able to see more of us, even if you don't live close by, like that is probably the best gift you could give a parent. They're Wi-Fi connected. They come with unlimited storage. So you can share as many photos as you want from your phone to your mom's frame. And it's easy to set up. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. We have one in my kitchen and every time my dad comes down for breakfast, like it just makes him so happy. There's pictures of me, pictures of me and my parents when I was little, pictures of my grandparents. Like I think as a parent, you never get sick of that. And it's just the kind of gift I know she will love. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code CBC at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. You know, I have to say, I obviously logically understand why she would be moving out of the clubhouse. It's an unnecessary expense. It's probably the last thing she needs in this current moment. However, I don't think I thought that I would have the reaction I did to watching her kind of close up shop there because I guess in a way I must have subconsciously felt as though the Pasadena home wasn't hers because as I was watching her go through it and then flashing back, I do remember feeling a sense of like, wow, this is Erica's place, you know, and this serves such a unique purpose in her life. I know. And something about Erica just flipping off the switch on the pretty mess neon sign. I was like, is this the end of Erica Jane? And I honestly think that even more now, looking back on the episode when Kyle had asked her at dinner, like what happens to Erica Jane? And Erica doesn't even really know. Like it's a very expensive business to be in. And it was sort of funded and only made possible by her quote old life. So to think that that's the end of Erica Jane is it's really depressing. 
It is. And just again, obviously backdrop to all of this in the scheme of things, this is not the thing to be upset about, but we are on a show that talks about these women's lives. So we're just going to focus on Erica for the moment. The Erica Jane persona was created as a way to kind of deal with the Erica Girardi real life, which was anything but this dream that it had seemed to a lot of people. And so I almost feel as though potentially letting go of Erica Jane could be kind of liberating for her because it can show her for the first time she can exist as herself, her real self, and she doesn't need this you know, fantasy-based alter ego in order to mentally get through the days in a way. Yeah, it's true. I don't know. I mean, yes, like you said, in the grand scheme of things, this is such a non-issue, but because it was such a prominent part of the episode and also it was such a prominent part of Erica as we knew her. Like that was her thing. So it just felt, I don't know, it felt a little bit weird. It definitely did. I I, I can't really accurately describe the way that I'm feeling watching this because when you take away all of the legal battles going on and kind of the details of the case, at the core of it to me, it's kind of this woman that's like grappling with her identity mm-hmm. and I'll never not be interested in that. Yeah. Especially with such like crazy conditions, you know, like it's really, she has a lot of things going on, good and bad. So Palm Springs, obviously Kyle's house, which is so gorgeous. It's not, it's not Kris Jenner's, but wow, it is spectacular. Oh, it's so nice. I can't, I love a nice house. (laughs) I know. And them all arriving there and Kathy Hilton arriving after never having driven there herself. And just, there's something that is so addicting about watching housewives arrive individually to these gorgeous vacations. Yeah. And there's such a good energy. I think, especially because it's Kyle's house, it's such a beautiful house. And I like that it's Kyle's house and not just like a house that they rented like in Tahoe or something. Because, I don't know, it just feels more cozy and homey knowing it's Kyle's and that she's like the homemaker and the host. Yeah, I mean, it's whoever is the one that's having it is the one that sets the tone. And Kyle kind of leading the charge on this Erica discussion mattered that she was the host. It really did. Mm-hmm. It totally did. So before Erica even gets there, they're kind of talking amongst themselves about what has happened in court. And this is what we were talking about, about wanting their genuine reactions. And who knows if they discussed it a little bit before, but I think that this was about the most genuine we were going to get from the show in terms of them processing this information together. Yeah, I do too, because they probably saw or heard about it before they even got to Palm Springs, but it did feel like this is the first time that they're figuring it out together because the same way we just had no idea what was going on. And there's so much legal jargon and terms and things, just like a million factors going into it. They're sort of trying to figure it out and process it together, which I really did like because there's also so much emotion behind it because this is their friend that they love and care about. And then she's about to arrive and they want to know more details from her. Yeah. And it really hits you that it's Beverly Hills when they're talking about the frozen assets and Dory interjects with her own anecdote and about how that was. Like, of course, there are other people among the group that have had the frozen asset situation. I know. And this whole thing makes Dorit's like look like child's play. You know, it used to be such a big like issue brought up and something used against her. And now it's like, oh, please, that little thing, you know, that just fades into the background. Yeah. And Crystal makes a good point in her confessional when she says, you know, $2 million seems like a lot of money, but not to someone like Tom Girardi. You just write a check and make it go away. Which, before all of the stuff came out about how there's really no money left and, you know, everything we know now, that was the general sentiment in a way of like, yeah, of course, $2 million is so much money, but when you're Tom Girardi, it's not really. And so the fact that he isn't writing the check to make it go away is what's perking up people's ears so much back then. I'm trying, if we really put ourselves back into what we thought about when this was all breaking. Yeah, that was so relatable to me when Crystal said that, because that's exactly what our thought process was. And when we first saw the headlines breaking without getting into all the details, we were like, oh, a little financial trouble? Eh, we've seen it before, you know? He'll deal with it. He's a top lawyer. He has so much money. He has 
all these like partners and people, it'll just go away. You know, like we're not surprised that he has money troubles. The more money you have, the more troubles you have. And so when Crystal said that, it really brought me back to exactly how we were processing it at the time. Yes. And that's kind of rare for those to be mirrored. And so I really appreciated that moment. Mm -hmm, Me too. When Erica arrives and you know, Rena says, I'm so proud that you're here. And immediately Erica starts crying. And again, I knew this was going to be the same situation of last week in terms of social media. You know, everybody's saying she deserved an Oscar for this performance. And I will say in this episode, I found her to be a little bit more performative than last episode. Like if I'm ranking the authenticity, I think the authenticity in the conversation with Kyle last week, even though the mascara wasn't waterproof, was a little bit more prominent than this week. Again, I still think everything she's feeling and saying is valid, but you could tell that this week she was a little bit more aware of the power she may have in painting her narrative. Yes? I'm just even more conflicted as the weeks go on, but this week I was leaning very hard towards feeling like a lot of it was um, not like it was over dramatized, but just, I felt a little bit of an actress vibe going on and following the stories, like the way things kind of went around. I, I don't know. I, every week I really like check in with myself. Like, what do you think is true? Like what, if someone asked you, like, do you believe Erica or not? I gotta be honest after this week, I'm like, I am very, very skeptical, much more than last week. So interesting. I'm I'm so glad we're having this conversation because I didn't even know how you felt. I mean, I, I will say, remember how last week I was kind of nervous to share my opinion, which was like, I can't sit here and say that I think she's totally lying and that, and that those emotions weren't genuine. Remember I said that and I was yeah. like afraid because I recognized it wasn't the popular opinion. I was actually surprised at a lot of the DMs that we got of people being like, no, I felt the same way. You know, Not saying that everything she's saying is 100% true. That being said, also not ready to say that it's a totally a lie. So I guess the jury is out a little bit more than I anticipated. I know the overwhelming majority is people that think she's totally full of shit, but there were more people that actually understood our hesitation to come to a conclusion, which I really wasn't anticipating that. I know. I think everybody is really struggling the same way we are watching and feeling like one thing she says or one moment that she's crying, you feel so bad for her, a woman going through this, you know, her whole life kind of flipped upside down over one day. And then the next moment feeling like, oh my God, she's full of shit. Like this story doesn't track and these are not real tears or she's really putting on a show. And then the next moment you could flip flop again. It's like, it's so hard to say, but I would just, my overall temperature check after this episode was just way different than I felt before. And it it's just, I don't know, it's weird because next week I could feel differently and that's okay. Right. And you have to wonder, and I think we said this last week of, she must be having conversations, of course, with her lawyers, but who knows who else she's kind of discussing, who else is advising her regarding what they think her vibe should be on camera. You know, you can't forget that the cameras are there if you're her because you know that this is on some level going to feed into what people think about this. Even if it's not affecting any sort of judgments by the judge and there's no sort of actual evidence that you're going to say or not say, having the court of public opinion behind you is a huge win when you're going through something like this. Right. And people were very aware of how much she was not pushing the narrative, but kind of really wanted to speak about Tom's health and his mental state and how he was degrading and how she really wanted him to get help and sort of giving examples on how that went down. And like I was saying earlier, she has this platform and she's going to use it. So you're right. Like even if she can just sway the public opinion and sort of make herself look a little bit better or create a little bit of a cushion to fall back on of people feeling bad for her or feeling like they have more context that they wouldn't get otherwise. She ha- she's on the stage. Like she's going to use it. You know, she ha- literally is holding the microphone and she knows that everything that she says will be taken into account and listened to and will shape how people think about her and also give people the answer of like, what is Erica thinking? What is Erica doing? How is she reacting to this? 
like all eyes are on her. So she's going to use this in the way that will make her look better and maybe will help her case, even if not legally, just overall what people think about her. I mean, look at us. Like if we were just reading all of this through the press, we'd be like, oh, like, you know, she was totally guilty. Look at the facts. It's over. But because we get to listen to her and almost be there as if we're one of her best friends as a shoulder to cry on, it changes everything. Right. And keep in mind, he doesn't have that. And she's also hyper aware that she's the only one with this type of a you know, public forum. Because when you're hearing from Tom, you're seeing him in his Zoom meeting with his lawyer where he by no means looks as with it as you know one would have expected. So the contrast also cannot be lost on us in terms of her recognizing that she is one power that he simply doesn't have, even if it seems as though he is the rest of the power. And it's so not balanced because he doesn't even have like social media. He couldn't go on Instagram, make his case. Like he is on one end of the spectrum of being completely private and almost zero platform unless he really, like if he wanted to go on the Today Show, he could, but he's not. And then Erica, who has a reality TV show, which is giving us hours of content and every social media, she's tweeting up a storm, which also is really bothering me. And I think making her not look great and the the contrast is just like so interesting. And I think if he probably feels that it's unfair. Oh, I'm sure. Listen, especially because as we know, you know, he wanted her according to her to be successful to a certain extent. And then once it started to kind of encroach on her ability to fall into the background of his life. That's when he wasn't so thrilled. And so I'm sure I have to imagine he is by no means happy that she is maybe one of the most watched and paid attention to reality television figures at the moment, directly spinning a narrative that just incriminates him in all of the worst ways. Yeah. It's gotta be hard. You know, just going back for a second to when we were talking about in Potomac, when Mia said that line about Giselle having a good soul and Karen probably being like, are you fucking kidding me? That's what you're going to say right now. The exact opposite of that is when Dorit is talking about how when she was dragged into all of the PK stuff and she had no idea she wasn't even married to him or knew him at the time that those business deals were taking place. I am sure Erica was looking at her with so much happiness and appreciation of like, that is exactly the type of thing I want you to say right now. Like anybody that can back up my claim of ignorance with their own story of ignorance is the type of friend that I want on my team. Yeah. And also a friend that's willing to like throw themselves under the bus or like dig up old shit that I'm sure Dorit, if anyone else ever brought up, she probably never wants it to come up and does everything in her power to make sure that it doesn't become like a whole thing. But she, to bring it up for herself in order to make Erica feel better and like for the purpose of comforting Erica and, you know, misery loves company, that's a good friend. Like that, especially on camera around all your other friends, like she didn't have to do that, but she totally did. Yeah. And I also don't know if I expected Dorit to do that. I would have expected Rena to do that. I feel like Dorit really does not like engaging in the discussions as it applies to the financial stuff. And so- yeah, I agree. To me, it held more power because it was coming from Dorit. And that's what I'm saying. Again, it's like these are real actual friends. Like Dorit's willing to make herself and her husband, who she's like obsessed with and would never want to do anything to make them look bad. She's willing to go there just to help her friend out in a really vulnerable moment. People have so many different reasons for wanting to learn a new language. Maybe you have an upcoming trip or just want to pick up a new hobby or a skill or just connect with a new culture. I know for me, when I was abroad in Barcelona in college, I'm not going to say that I was fluent in Spanish, but I definitely got to the point where I felt really confident conversing. And when I got home, my dad said to me, Emmy, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. And he was so right. Like I entirely lost it. So Rosetta Stone has been really helpful for me. So if you are in that same boat or you want to learn a new language completely, you want to brush up your skills, whatever it is, I want to tell you about Rosetta Stone because they're the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. And it really kind of immerses you in the language that you want to learn. So first of all, they're the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. It's fast language acquisition. So they immerse you in many ways. First of all, there's no English translation. So you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language, which In my experience, I know I'm getting it when I start to think in the language. 
It's an intuitive process, so you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences, and it's designed for long-term retention. Also, in terms of speech recognition, they have a built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation, and it's convenient, so desktop and app options with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline, and it's an amazing value. You're getting lifetime access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone has to offer for 50% off, which is a steal. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Comments by Celebs listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash comments. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash comments today. When Erica says the line, I've been a bimbo gold digging trophy wife. Now I'm a financial mastermind who had my finger on the pulse of everything. Yes, she obviously crafted that statement to have power in its words, but that's kind of what I was saying last week of like, how are we all flipping the switch so quickly without acknowledging the potential hypocrisy in that? I know. It's like you, it's, uh, it's like such a study in like headlines and media and perception. And I feel like, again, I know we know that the real victims in all of this are the plane crash families and orphans and the people that got money taken from this. But that like feeds into why she's so upset about all of this. She's not just upset about Tom or the money. Like there are so many other factors going into this and being torn apart in the press and having things said about you for years. And now it'd be a whole different story. Like that wears on you. It does wear on you. Or I think that it would wear on, on most people. And that's why I'm unwilling to completely remove her humanity from this, even though I recognize at the core of it, she's not the biggest victim here, but I still, I don't know. I say it every week. It may sound naive. I can't lie. (laughs) I thought Kyle, when Crystal was in the kitchen with her, sort of explaining to Crystal like the dynamic, because Crystal hasn't met Tom or hasn't seen all the things that the other women have seen or spent any time with them as a couple. Kyle explaining to her like, yeah, they sort of had like a dad-daughter relationship. Like if Erica was talking and he didn't like it, he would shut her down. And it cuts back to those examples that they keep using over and over, which clearly, like we've said, if it's on the show a couple of times, imagine how much is happening in real life. And that also like just such a real moment, but also interesting insight into Kyle's thinking of like what she's experienced and seen over the years in the way that she's now explaining it to Crystal, you know, like how, what does it feel like in her mind and how, where is she coming from where she's not really that surprised? Oh, that's what we were saying last week though. There's nothing we want more than to have a very clear understanding as to the other women's perception of their relationship. And I think it was you that said last week that, you know, last week's episode kind of showed to you that they thought of it in a very similar way that we did. And so Kyle saying that it's just very much on par and, you're right. There's one opportunity here for Kyle to have done that because there's only one new housewife. There's only one person here that has never been witness to a Tom and Erica interaction and it's Crystal. So if Crystal wasn't here, we would have never heard Kyle explaining the way that she perceived it because she wouldn't have needed to explain it to anyone. So it's another reason that like sometimes having a new person in the group is so beneficial because it opens it up to conversations like this. Yeah. I don't know if Sutton ever met him. I mean, I don't think we saw it, but again, the same thing I was saying about Dorit Sutton did that too. And Sutton and Erica aren't like best friends at all, but Sutton opening up about her father's suicide and really like you could tell it's it's a terrible thing to talk about and it's really hard for her. She's willing to go there because she wants to relate to Erica and sort of comfort her in this moment. Yeah. And it was definitely one of those things where sometimes when people are well-intentioned, but they're saying something and it feels like they're bringing it back to themselves. That was not what was going on here. It was very much, you could tell that she was only saying it to be additive. And like, obviously you all, you know, all of us, I think we're very much taken into the pain of her story because her pain was so palpable, especially when she was talking about her mom and things like that. But it never felt like she was trying to be the center of attention to me. It really felt like she was willing to disclose this because she genuinely thought it would make Erica feel better. And I think in a way it it probably did. Yeah, no, not at all. I think those situations can be perceived either way, but in terms of both Dorit and Sutton, it was genuinely from a place of 
I just want to help you because there's no way they would bring up those things just for selfish reasons. Like this is not the kind of thing where you want to have a story to throw in or something to just relate to or to be the center of attention or just to hear yourself talk. Like that is not what's happening here. Not at all, I guess. I just have to say that I was watching this episode with my dad or I was watching and he happened to be there. And when Erica's talking about being more of a budgeter and she's like, you know, I kept my old pool heated for 20 years and now I got the bill. My dad's like, I hear you, Erica. It's unbelievable, right? He's like talking. It was so funny. Wait, that's funny because when I was watching with my sister, she's like, oh, that's dad. I think that whole pool thing really illustrated the contrast of her old life versus her new life perfectly. Her pool probably had the heater on for 20 years straight. She never thought about it. She probably went in the pool a handful of times versus now she wants to just put the pool on. She has to really like pay attention to every single bill. Oh my God, of course. Are you kidding? That's one small example that definitely is representative of so many things. I mean, she never thought about the price of the clubhouse, I'm sure. Yeah. Just to like lighten it up for one second, Kathy Hilton continues to be just the funniest person on the face of the planet. And when she was putting that stale bread in the basket, I was peeing in my pants. And just Kyle and Kathy together are so funny. And I'm so happy that they're on speaking terms and like doing this show together. And when Kyle's making the lasagna and Kathy's like, oh, I've never tried it. And Kyle's like, well, that's because you didn't speak to me for all these years. The fact that they can poke fun at it now just, oh, it, I love it so much. It makes me so happy. Yeah. It's it's very endearing, the fact that they're willing to be so open about it. Yeah, it is. Kyle getting a text from her daughter saying, Drake follows Lisa Rinna up your game. No. That was, no. <laughs> that is like one of my favorite little scenes ever. It's maybe 30 seconds long, but it's amazing. I did a whole like roundup on comments by Bravo of all of them going back and forth. Kyle posted like a bikini selfie and tagged Drake and like Crystal's like, where's my Drake follow? And oh my God, it's so good. It's just the best thing ever. It's it's really phenomenal. And <laughs> Rena, champagne pappy. <laughs> yeah, she's like, how am I supposed to know champagne pappy? And they're, she keeps saying pappy and Crystal and Erica are like, it's poppy, it's poppy. Like you could tell Crystal's a huge Drake fan and just understands the weight that him following her holds. Like she gets how big of a fucking deal it is. Maybe it's like, I guess it's like generational. Like, I don't know. I don't mean to like... make it an age thing but crystal feels sort of i guess the same way we do of like holy fuck drake like drake is one of the most ultimate and the fact that he follows you is so fucking epic like crystal so feels that oh i needed crystal there because listen kathy hilton is the last one to understand the magnitude of a drake follow and i really needed crystal's confessional there to be like if drake followed me i would fucking lose it that was that was perfectly timed and highly necessary to communicate the magnitude of the follow to the audience dare i say it's not as cool but it's definitely up there with a rihanna follow well, I was going to say, are we going to get a scene on Salt Lake City where they're talking about Rihanna following Heather and Whitney? We better, we fucking better get one. Honestly, I'm putting in a request now. So, you know, they're talking about just the potential end of Erica Jane and how Tom's legal team requested no spousal support for Erica. And when Sutton asks if he'll rush the divorce, Erica says, I don't know if there's anything to get. They froze everything. He should turn his bar card in and stop practicing. I love him, but it's time because he's not well. It's got to stop. And when Rin is in her confessional, she's talking about the last time she saw Tom and how you know he seemed fine, but now you may hear that there was something else going on. And Erica says, these last few years when I noticed him declining, I think he held on even tighter. I think he was afraid. I think that he was mad because he was mean as fuck. Where a few years before that, he would be like, honey, let me explain. And then it became, I'm talking. And they're kind of just talking about dementia and Alzheimer's and how that can potentially manifest itself as it applies to kind of like attitude change. And, you know, should we get into the car accident thing? Yeah, let's get into the whole car accident. Well, I know a lot of people were really confused about this because she starts out by saying, I told you guys, but I never told you the full truth. And so she's saying to Kyle, you know, I called you and I said Tom had a car accident, which is true, but I just didn't tell you the rest of it. And 
it's interesting, again, because Erica's been on the show for so many years, we can get the flashback of her telling Kyle, but not wanting to get into details. And she's saying at the table, he was also unconscious for 12 hours, but no one knows that. I know because I found him. He had a head injury and he broke his shoulder, snapped his ankle and broke his clavicle. He drove off a cliff. Now that everything has come to light, I can kind of tell. And she's explaining how where he was driving was at the back of their house. He's been driving there for 30 years. He takes a turn. He tumbles out of the car. And I saw a story on, I think it was Ono Bravo. And they screenshotted one of their followers' comments. And the follower wrote, It made sense to me too. The editing of her conversation was weird. Basically, he crashed the car behind the house, got out of the car and fell down the hill, breaking bones and losing consciousness. Regained consciousness 12 hours later and then called her for help. During the time he was unconscious, she assumed he was out cheating. That was my interpretation too. I know it sounded a little bit roundabout, but I actually think it was the editing that made it sound less legitimate. Do you completely disagree? Oh, I don't know. It's so hard to say like what role the editing plays versus how she told the story. But I did think it was, uh, I don't know. It just feels like a little bit weird. It's also funny because when they did that flashback to the scene of her talking about it with Kyle, you can feel how much she's holding back. And it really makes you rethink. We always just viewed her so cold and so closed off, but why? What were the reasons for that? And that scene, watching her talk about it and not want to say a word, clearly Tom was putting pressure on her to not talk about it. And it wasn't just her wanting to be like so closed off and private and not want anyone to know details about her life. But I think it was a lot of Tom having his hand and saying, you know, nobody can know about this. Nobody don't say a word, like just say I broke my ankle and it's not a big deal. Because I feel like when we watched that scene initially, we were like, oh, like she's so kind of standoffish and weird. Like Kyle's just asking as a concerned friend, but now watching it back, knowing what maybe was going on behind the scenes and what angle she was approaching it from, it changes everything. Oh, I think that there was a lot of pressure on her by him to never give anybody even a slight bit of a reason to think that he was declining. And that's not unique to them. That is like a very, very common thing. Anytime there's a person I think any person, but specifically somebody that has built their entire career based on their esteem and their intelligence, if they have signs of any sort of mental decline, you know, wanting to hide that is par for the course. It's it's sad, obviously, but I, I, that's one part that I don't think is untruthful. Yeah. And especially because according to Erica, literally all he cared about in life was being a top esteemed, amazing, strong lawyer. And that was his number one goal, his number one priority. So anything to come between that was just not okay. When she says, when he finally called, I was like, where have you been? I was just assuming he had been with another woman. And Kyle's kind of like, hold on, let's just revisit what you just said. And she then says, I'm not going to say that's the first time I've heard it. And in her confessional, she confirms that there were rumblings. I know some people probably think that Kyle was only saying that to help aid in Erica's story, but I don't. And actually what it proved to me was that Kyle must have felt a certain way about their friendship or maybe not wanting to cross Erica or whatever it was for her to never mention that before. Because that's the kind of thing where it would have been mentioned previously if it was somebody else, I think. I think she had some understanding that Erica had some understanding or that there was just something different about their relationship. Because I think if she heard it about PK or something, she would go to Doree and say, I've I've heard this thing and it would be a whole thing. But because of the uniqueness of Erica's relationship and also the way that they kind of handle things, she, I don't know. And she also made a point to say there was nothing concrete. It was just sort of like rumors around town However, I think with anybody else, she would have said something. It also, again, was very telling how I feel like they sat down at this table and it was like, there are no rules. Like, don't even hold back. Kyle's like immediately able to say like, I've heard that, you know, and and Erica doesn't jump down her throat. Like, she's like, yeah, it's just the reality. Like, they were being so blunt and honest and no question was too prying and no detail was too big. And- 
that's why I love these women. And that's why I, you know, I appreciate Kyle. She, she has such a comfortability in her spot in the group and also it being her house that she could say these things and she wasn't tiptoeing. And also I think she knows that Erica knows she's coming from a good place. Yeah. Especially like they had that really vulnerable conversation a week ago and I'm sure they've spoken since then. I think Erica just loves Kyle and Kyle feels like it would take a lot for her to really do wrong because of how much she helps Erica and comforts her and that they they just have a solid friendship. When Erica's saying, you know, she never really went through his phone or papers or anything. And then quote, after Yolanda divorced David, I just opened that phone and was like, wow, okay. He was sloppy. And when she's explaining, she found the evidence, she found pictures. It was years long and he didn't even deny it. And Kyle then asked why she didn't leave. And Erica goes, where am I going? He told me straight up, this is my house. Whew. Okay. The fact that we get a Yolanda and David reference, are you fucking kidding me? That was phenomenal. Insane. Like, oh my God, I couldn't, I didn't even know what to think because Yolanda and Erica were very, very good friends. And I think maybe watching the way that their divorce went down where there's a lot of money involved. And also Yolanda was David's, I don't know, maybe third or fourth wife some similarities between their situations. I guess it kind of showed her like, okay, that could be me or maybe I need to look at this from a different direction. Yeah, that was a, a very interesting line because it was loaded. It it clearly showed that there was even more with that divorce than we saw. Right. Well, it also is like a subtle, not so subtle, David was cheating on Yolanda. Oh, of course. I mean- yeah. And I have to imagine that Yolanda actually would be very pleased with Erica saying that because if anything, it only painted David in a worse light. And as we know, Yolanda is not a David fan. Right. It painted him in a worse light and it also made Erica look like she was so empowered by what Yolanda did. I mean, what could be bad about that for Yolanda? Yeah. Sutton is the one that kind of voices some confusion in her confessional when she's like, this car story is so confusing to me. Thrown from the car, not thrown from the car. I don't get it. The divorce is something out of a movie, a movie I wouldn't want to star in. And the only reason I just want to mention that is because it's a very important like, ground laying for what we're about to see where Sutton is the one that is questioning this a little and how poorly that is received by Erica, or at least what we're getting at in terms of the previews, which is Erica really coming for her throat. Yeah, I the doubt. You can feel it already. Honestly, you can feel it from a little bit of them, but I also just think it's the way that they're processing all of this, the same way that we are flip-flopping there too in all of its very new information. When Dorit says in her confessional, Erica isn't as tough as everyone thinks she is, it, it just so directly highlights this reality that Erica's painting of like, I was miserable. I was not being treated right. However, I wasn't going to leave. A lot of it, I think, was fear-based, or at least that's what she's saying. Whereas previously, one could think, oh, please, if Erica did not like the way that she was being treated or she felt she was being belittled, she'd be out of there like a bat out of hell. And that was not the case. No, I think that's what we would have thought too. Like, oh, Erica would not tolerate the bullshit, whatever. But really, all of this hard exterior was created because of the circumstances. Like maybe she wasn't like that before, but because of what she was dealing with at home and how things were sort of set up, even in better times, this is the way that she's become. So yeah, that was when Dorit said that it was like, whoa, it sort of flipped everything on its head. And the way that we've always thought about Erica just isn't really true. Yeah. And there's a lot of power to that because we never met Erica pre-Tom. So you know, it'd be interesting to talk to somebody who was maybe a childhood friend of hers or knew her before the Tom era. And maybe they would, you know, describe her with a sense of softness and a completely different personality. And it's almost like she built the armor because that was what the situation needed from her. Yeah. Rita with the fucking best closing line. I measure my Dave who has COVID. How's Erica? And is my daughter still dating Scott Disick? (laughs) And when she says that at 7.30 AM, Harry asks her, how did Scott Disick get into our lives? I lost it. No, that is the best thing ever. Again, just Rinna wanting to bring up Scott Disick at any moment. And almost she almost uses it just as comedic relief these days because she kind of is 
perplexed by the situation, wants to talk about it, and she knows that it will lighten the mood no matter where they are because they can all just kind of make fun of it together. But when she said that about Harry literally turning to her and saying, like, like very monotone, like, how the fuck did he get into our lives? I, oh my God. Like, those are the snippets I want to know because we, again, say, what the fuck are Lisa and Harry thinking when they see that Amelia and Scott are like gallivanting around together. Well, also, I ask myself that question all the time. How did Scott just come into my life? I asked myself more recently about Travis Barker. Like, I have not thought about Travis Barker in years. And all of a sudden, he crosses my mind every single day because even as recently as of this morning, Courtney's posting that blowjob thing. Like, you wonder that about these people. How do they make their way into our orbit? Obviously, with hers, it's a lot more of a close relation. But I feel you, Harry. I felt very seen by that. I just can't believe we got a Yolanda and a Scott Disick name drop at the same dinner, you know? Like, I, this is the world I want to be in. Yeah, this is... I just want to be in Palm Springs at Kyle Richards' house with Kathy Hilton, stale bread, a little Scott Disick, a little David Foster, Yolanda, and then a whole lot of Erica. Oh my God, dream dinner party. <laughs> Let's talk about something near and dear to our hearts our furry companions. Life is full of unexpected twists, just like the ones we love to uncover about our favorite celebs. But sometimes those twists involve our four-legged friends. Imagine navigating the unpredictable world of pet parenthood, where every day is a new adventure. Our partner, Spot Pet Insurance, wants to share a message to help make sure you're prepared for any unexpected curveballs, whether it's a sudden illness or an unplanned trip to the vet. Spot Pet Insurance can be your secret weapon against the unexpected. With Spot, you can get up to 90% cash back on eligible vet bills, helping you with those surprising expenses that seem to pop up when you least expect them. But wait, there's more. Spot Pet Insurance plans go beyond just offering coverage for accidents and illnesses. You can enhance your plan with their preventive care benefit, ensuring that routine wellness, vaccines, and more can be covered too. Head over to spotpet.com today to get a quote instantly. Trust us, it's the easiest thing you'll do to help secure the well-being of your dog or cat. Visit www.spotpet.com today. Paid ad from Spot Pet Insurance. Waiting periods, annual deductible, coinsurance, benefit limits, and exclusions may apply. For all terms, visit spotpetins.com slash sample hyphen policy. Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. I don't feel that I have anything additive or necessarily productive to say about New York. Is that terrible? No, I completely agree with you. The overall sentiment and biggest piece of, I guess, feedback that I saw everyone saying was that here we are with such a lackluster season, episodes that we've felt are going nowhere, not really storylines, not a lot of chemistry within the group. And we got this sort of, quote, explosive fight, and it was handed to us as a flashback. So we didn't necessarily get to experience or break it down the way we would with a normal fight, which honestly might be a first. Can I tell you though, the reason that I think they did that? Because obviously that was my first reaction as well. Like, listen, we have such slim pickings here. You may as well make this the entirety of the episode and we wouldn't be mad. But I almost think that the flashback and doing it kind of in black and white dramatized it to a level that it wasn't necessarily as dramatic in actuality. So I actually almost think it was the play to kind of make us think this was more than it really was. Because when you look at it, it wasn't necessarily a physical altercation. They got on each other's face and Sonia broke the fire extinguisher box. Right. Like it maybe was just like a drunken moment and they wanted to make it into something more dramatic. And Leah was calling every single one of the other women saying, did you hear what happened last night? Which I guess kind of amped it up and made it a little bit more interesting. Right. And by the way, I know I've been hard on Leah. I don't blame her for doing that. I mean, it's housewives. Of course, that's what she's going to do. You know, they're in this little hotel. Of course, she's going to call everyone. And it was a big deal in the sense that I don't think anybody was proud of the way that they acted. You know, Sonia and Bershawn just are not vibing and it was very evident. But this is, come on, this is like... <laughs> We've got to get out of Salem. That's all I know. I know that things are not necessarily better when we're back in New York, but all I know is I need to get the fuck out of Salem. Yeah, this is just not a good situation. I mean, what do you think of this episode? Like overall, how did you feel, I guess specifically about them confronting Sonia regarding her drinking? Um, I think it's a storyline we've seen time and time again, especially with Sonia, but we've seen it with Luann. We've seen it with just even in other cities. And I just felt like 
doing it at dinner in Salem, pulling her to the side to kind of just informally speak to her was never going to get through to her. And Ramona and Luann know that. Leah felt this rush to be like, we have to do it now. We have to do it tonight. And I get that. There is like an element of compassion where they don't want it to go any further. But having a quote, like intervention while they're about to sit down for a seance and they're already starting to drink and they're in this environment was just, it was a really poor decision. It kind of made no sense. You know what I honestly think? I kind of feel as though it was a Hail Mary for them, not in terms of Sonia's drinking, not like, wow, she got really out of hand last night and clearly that's a sign that her drinking is off. I think they were doing it with like a producer's mind of, we know this season has kind of sucked and maybe a stage intervention for Sonia will not only make it seem like last night was a bigger deal than it was, but it also, it's you know, a form of a saving of the show. I swear to God, that's what I think. I don't know if I'm just really too like cynical about this whole season, but that that's what the rush felt like to me. I know. I feel like Leah was really putting the rush on it, but if, if they wanted that to be a storyline, they could have dragged it on even longer and said, when we get back to New York, let's have all go to her apartment or let's have a sit down and we'll have something to look forward to. And then it's like next week we see them do the sit down. Like, I don't know the logic behind it. And not that this is an excuse for Sonia's behavior at all, but we've seen her act like worse, or we've seen her do things when she's drinking that are way more kind of concerning. Not that this is not concerning, but we've seen this play out over and over again. And they've had interventions and sometimes they haven't. It's like, it's not, this is not brand new information. No. And listen, of course, this is really being brought to the surface because both Leah and Luann are sober, you know, so their sobriety, I think in their minds is highlighting whatever, you know, poor relationship they may feel Sony has with alcohol. But you know what I was thinking about? Do you remember when Ebony was on our podcast and we were talking to her about her budding relationship with Sony and how like it feels very genuine? Remember? Yeah. She, she made a comment like, you know, I think Sonia also really values the fact that I don't question without authority her relationship with alcohol. And to me, now that I watched this episode, I feel like that was a direct kind of response to this situation. Yeah. And I think Sonia just is annoyed by it. And especially coming from Ramona, but most from Luann, because she's seen Luann's sort of story arc. And also she's gone through so much with Luann. And one of the biggest things is just Luann being a little bit hypocritical, like even when it came to all the Tom stuff and denying that Sonia ever really was with Tom, like there's so much history behind it having to do with drinking, but also a ton that has nothing to do with drinking. So I feel like she doesn't like Luann coming almost in this like holier than thou way, even if it's good intentions coming to her and saying like, you need to change. You need to be more like me. I just think that's how Sonia perceives it in a way and feels a little bit attacked and belittled, even if that's not actually Luann's intention. And she wants her to get better just based on past history and the way things have gone down. I think she's a little bit sensitive to that. I think so too. And I really understand that sensitivity. And by the way, I know we can be hard on Luann. I don't think her reasoning is anything other than you know, genuine. I know what I just said earlier, which I do think is still the case that there was like some producer mind happening. But in general, I don't think that, you know, her desire for Sonia to stop drinking is rooted in anything other than she does care for her as a friend. And she saw the, you know, impact alcohol had on her life. Like I'm very much willing to believe that they all feel that way and they have it in their hearts. It's just the way they went about it, it was never going to work. It just came across as poor timing and kind of classless and you know, not that there's anything to be embarrassed about anybody who's struggling with alcoholism. Let me make that point very clear. However, when you're confronted so publicly, I do think that it can feel a little bit embarrassing because it's made to seem, the best way I can put it is like when your parents sit you down, it's like, well, what are we going to do about her? You know, what are we going to do? And it makes you feel as though everybody's been talking about it. That was kind of the vibe that I got especially so quickly after. It was only the next day. Nobody had really sat and thought about it. They kind of had a quick conversation in the hotel room and said, okay, it's time to have an intervention. And Sonia was like kind of slapped in the face with it. I just think Luann specifically, I don't know why I think Ramona actually kind of took the backseat to this one and let Leah and, and just like Luann's problem has always been not what she's saying or not necessarily her intentions, but it's all about her attitude and her delivery and sort of 
just her aura. Like I can't explain it, but even if she's saying nothing, I can feel Sonia and even the other women at times just getting annoyed and feeling a certain vibe from her that just doesn't gel with them. Well, yeah, you don't have to explain it. It's just that she has a naturally condescending aura about her. And even when she's not trying, it always comes out. And I I don't even dislike Luann. I know when we were on, I think it was Ryan Bailey's podcast and he asked like, who are you not vibing with? I think you said Luann. And I know it pains you to say it because you do genuinely love her. But like this season, she hasn't been working for you. I feel that. But I think just in general, that kind of layer of condescension is always there at some level. Yeah, I know. It's It's just who she is. And by the way, you know, listen, Rashawn didn't handle this situation well either, in addition to Sonia, but she apologized. She owned up to it. It ended up kind of being water under the bridge, and I think everybody got over it. And I was glad for all of their sakes, but specifically Rashawn, because I think she for a second felt like she misjudged the situation, and that's never a good feeling. So to be able to have the opportunity to kind of clarify that, I'm happy for her that that happened. You mean with the grandma thing? Yeah, with the grandma thing, like she said, I, you know, I got too comfortable too fast or whatever it was that she said, which kind of made me sad because isn't the whole beauty of it something that you can be comfortable with people quick, you know? I know, it, but I do appreciate her kind of analysis of the situation because that maybe is what happened. But it makes me sad because these women, I guess not anymore, but it used to be you're in the pack, like, you know, we make fun of each other, we poke fun, we, we say things we we dig at each other and that's just kind of how the group goes. So I, it made me feel sad that she felt like she was coming on too comfortable too quick, but it is the reality of what happened. And I'm happy she was able to recognize that. And I really feel like they'll be able to move forward now, even just the fact that she can acknowledge that. I think they really like respect her more and they're like, okay, this girl can hang in our crew. Like we really like her. Yeah, I like her too. I I didn't like her behavior at the dinner, but when I was watching this, I was like, "Listen, so anybody that can own their shit, I appreciate." Yeah, no, I de- she did a one eighty for me from last episode to this episode. Totally. And by the way, the th- stuff with Sonia was totally equal. It wasn't like it was, you know. I know Sonia was trying to paint it out as if it was her, but it wasn't. If anything, Sonia was the one that was getting more in her face. No, so she just hit a button with Sonia that she didn't know existed, and kind of. If anyone had been standing there or saying that, it, the same exact thing would have gone down. It had nothing to do with Bershon. No, I agree. Yeah. Whew. I mean, I don't know. Let's just put all of our energy towards the hopefulness of next season. Yes? I guess so. Anything else you would like to mention about anything? No. <laughs> I can't get over Lisa Rinna saying, how did Scott Disick get into our lives? <laughs> Champagne Pappy. <laughs> Okay, we love you guys so much. We'll see you next week. Julie and I will see you on Monday for the regular episode. And thank you for listening. We're so lucky we get to do this. Bye.